channel open. Welcome back to Weekly Trek, a proud member of the Tricorder Transmissions podcast network and presented in partnership with TrekCore.com. I am your host, Alex Perry. What's today's date? The date. Today's show was recorded on January 29th, 2021, and is current through Star Trek Discovery Season 3, so beware of spoilers. All right, let's get into the show. Good day, Voyager, and welcome to A Briefing with Neelix. It's a catchy title, isn't it? Weekly Trek is a 30-minute news show covering the biggest stories from the Star Trek franchise. We are in a new golden age of Star Trek. There are six television shows in production, possibly more on the way and enough merchandise to fill the Bajoran wormhole. So stick with me, and I'll help you sort the real facts from a lot of the Dominion propaganda that you'll find online. But I can't do this alone. And my guest this week is returning guest and co-host of the Shore Leave podcast right here on the Tricorder Transmissions. It's Marina Kravchuk. Marina, welcome back to Weekly Track. Hello, everyone. And it's wonderful to be back. I kind of missed Weekly Track, I have to admit. <laughs> Does that make me sound bad in regards to my own? No, I, I mean, <laughs> that sounds great to me, Marina. I, I, you know, to be missed is, you know, the best thing about it. Well, Marina, you know the drill. I want to know something that's got you feeling excited about Star Trek at the moment. What's got you moving? At- yeah. Marvelous to say that we have so much stuff going on, and regardless which aspect of Star Trek we're talking about, that it's never boring. Every week something something pops up, something happens, news break, or this thing happens, or I don't know. So within this week, I'm going to say within the last seven days, roughly, I had a chance to attend a couple of really nice virtual events. That is always exciting, and I'm kind of glad that this continuing virtual experience is ongoing, and unfortunately, unfortunately, is going to be ongoing, you know, for the foreseeable future. So there was a wonderful Voyager panel, so like almost literally a week ago as of this recording, which was great fun, which was followed by one-on-one chats. So my sister and I actually shared a one-on-one chat, chat with Kate Mulgrew and awesome. we had a wonderful time. So uh, Women at Warp did a delightful panel about female costumes in Star Trek over the past five, you know, 50 years, which is quite an undertaking to talk about. A great panel. So it's like, you know, old things, but as far as new things, well, we had several announcements this week and one in particular like, really caught my attention. And that's, of course, the 1-6 scale figures from New Lessons C, Exo 6. I love First Contact. That happens to be my all-time favorite Star Trek movie. So to see <laughs> new stuff coming from that part of Star Trek franchise is very exciting to me. I'm really looking forward to I know there's already pictures of data circulated, which look amazing. So it's great. You know, I had my Voyager fix. I had, uh, you know, ladies from Women at Warp deliver a great panel. And now there's news about a collectible that I'm really looking forward to adding to my collection. Yeah, I have been surprised on the year in review episode at the end of 2020. I was like, probably be back next week to talk about the end of Discovery Season 3, and then who knows how long it will be until there's new Star Trek news going, and this is now the fifth show of 2021. I've done one every week. I'm fairly certain there'll be one next week. Who knows about the week after that? But like, I've gotten further into the year without skipping a week than I thought I would. So that's exciting. You know, there's new stuff happening, exciting things. You know, obviously we're in a little bit of a lull with everything going on and shows being in production and not being on the air, but it's going good so far. And uh, I mean, I'm looking forward to what 2021 holds. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Same here. Well, the thing, I'm feeling good this week. I also have two. First, just real quickly, that uh, really nice Paramount Plus commercial that had just these really oh, short yes. clips of <laughs> Anson Mount as Christopher Pike and Ethan Peck as Spark. They're climbing, quote unquote, Paramount Mountain. It's uh, voiced by Sir Patrick Stewart. The cool thing about that actually is pretty obvious to me from those little clips that like, that's not repurposed footage from Discovery Season 2. Like at some point in the very recent past, Anson Mount put on his Captain Pike uniform and Ethan Peck put on his Spock uniform and they filmed a little sequence in that created this commercial. Ethan Peck's wearing gloves in his yeah. Spock costume, which is what kind of tipped me off to the fact that, that you know, this is probably something that was made very recently. Uh, so that's very cool. But the main thing that I am feeling good about this week is uh, Michael Chabon, Star Trek Picard season one showrunner, seems to have a lot of time on his hands in quarantine and he has been using it to be good of Star Trek fans by on his Medium blog, publishing a couple of posts so far, and I hope there are more to come, going deeper into some of the concepts and ideas that were presented in Star Trek Picard Season 1. The first one, which came out a few weeks ago, dove into the history of the fictional world created by Thaddeus Troy Riker, the dearly departed son of Captain Riker and Commander Troy. And then just today, published a second post that is a deep dive on Free Cloud and Stardust City that has lots of context and information and historical details about this, you know, newly created planet in the Alpha Dorada system in the Beta Quadrant. And I would like more. Please, mm -hmm. Mr. Shabon, I would like to know more about Vashti. I would like to know more about the Coat Malat. It would be lovely to know more about the Fenris Rangers, for example. So so uh, anytime you want to sit down and knock out another one of these, I'm there for it. Marina, did you see this one? Oh, yes. Of course. And I have to say that I, I find it an interesting way of experiencing track, like a meaning new track. I mean, we've all, we all are aware that there's, you know, the entire memory beta with the novels and everything out there. But here we have, you know, with everything in that, that so far has been produced as far as Picard is concerned, everything associated with it was specifically created to containing background information. You know, the, the comics and the books so far. And now we have the his, his little essays into the all these features that literally we're just caring about them for the first time in Picard and he's giving so much more so it's it's a delightful thing as you said I, I really do hope that he continues to do that because there's certainly a lot of stuff to cover seeing how we're you know the post nemesis world is very much an unknown in many ways alright well with that let's turn to the week's top stories there's a war going on and I'm a reporter Following the third season finale of Star Trek Discovery in early January, Star Trek franchise showrunner Alex Kurtzman, Discovery showrunner Michelle Paradise, and Discovery co-executive producer Olatunde Osun-Samney have been making the rounds continuing to discuss the end of Discovery's third season and hint at the direction for the fourth. Well, we talked about some of Paradise's interviews a couple of weeks ago, so we'll focus this week on Kurtzman and Osun-Samney. And speaking to the Blurred Girl podcast, Alex Kurtzman reconfirmed earlier comments by Michelle Paradise Paradise that yes, Saru would be returning in season four, which we talked about on an episode a couple of weeks ago, and said of the character of Saru that, quote, Saru, who I think made an extraordinary captain, also began to recognize by the end of the season that he doesn't necessarily have probably the hardest thing that a captain has to have, which is the willingness to be able to potentially sacrifice something you care for or somebody you care for to serve the greater good. And he doesn't know where he is on the line yet, and that's going to be part of what he gets to explore in season four. 
four. And looking ahead to Burnham's role as captain of Discovery in season four, Kurtzman talked about how they are approaching continuing to develop the Michael Burnham character in the fourth season. One of the things that Michelle and I have talked a lot about is that every episode needs to reflect a different challenge of what it means to be a captain, Kurtzman said. So the new variable for season four will be, okay, it's a cool story, but how does it make her take a step as a captain? And that's been a really interesting thing, because once we started filtering our stories through that question, it began to focus us on the kinds of stories that we wanted to tell, because now they all have to challenge her as captain. Kurtzman also hinted that Michael's relationship with Book would see its fair share of challenges in season four, and that they would also explore the fact that Book can now pilot Discovery in addition to Stamets. Stamets has carried this unique burden, which is that he's the only one who can power Discovery, and now somebody else can, Kurtzman said. So what does that mean? That's another question that we will be covering. He also hinted that a big theme of season four would be continuing to rebuild the Federation. There's still many, many species and planets that are not members of the Federation, so it's an amazing first step in building a brighter future. But ultimately, there's a long way left still to go. Without spoiling anything, that's a lot of what season four is going to be about. In addition to hinting at what we might see on screen in Discovery season four, Kurtzman and Osun Samney also talked about the challenges of shooting Discovery in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. Osun Samney said of production challenges caused by COVID that, quote, CBS has spent an extraordinary amount of money to keep us safe. Everything we've asked for, we've gotten. We feel incredibly well supported. I feel as safe as I possibly could be in this little soft bubble of environment that we have. So it's about staying vigilant about that, but also finding a way to have fun while we are doing it. Well, Marina, that is a ton of tantalizing hints about Star Trek Discovery Season 4, which is shooting in Toronto right now. What do you think you are most looking forward to? I'm excited to see because the more I keep, well, first of all, let me preface it by saying, as always, I am delighted by how much care the production team puts into communication with what are they doing? Or, you know, all these little hints and the, you know, the stuff just keeps trickling. And yet at the same time, they're very careful with what they're revealing. So, this season was certainly a great stepping stone because now that we have Discovery established as part of the 32nd century, we have a blank canvas in front of us. It's exciting to see what happens. You know, I, I do want to see how they're going to handle this whole thing of coming of the Federation together, which kind of parallels to a lot of things that are happening in the real world. So uh, that's probably part of it. Burnham did have quite an arc in season three. So that part when they're talking about her being challenged as a captain is certainly an interesting point. Something else I wanted to add, I got lucky by attending a deadline virtual uh, screening series, which featured Star Trek Discovery finale and had a Q&A panel with Kurtzman, Paradise and Lissaniqua. And they actually, they mentioned that in addition to quite a few of these same things, I mean, they're basically talking, as I said, they're very careful what they're revealing. They repeated a lot of these points, but they did also mention in addition that they will definitely resolve the situation that Gray found himself in. So that's another thing that I'm very curious how they're going to go. Is it going to be some sort of AI solution? Is it going to be something that we, I don't know, can't even imagine at this point they will come up with something else, but I'm very curious to see how they're going to work out all these things. So it's it's a lot of threads that are continuing on that's going to be tied somehow in the next season. Yeah, they're very good at... 
they're not even giving you a taste of what to expect for season four. They're sort of giving you a sniff of being able to take a taste out of season four, right? I mean, they very sort of carefully talking around it, what giving just the most tantalizing of hints, but without actually, you know, sort of revealing anything or spoiling anything. Like Michael Burnham is going to be tested as captain, but that's still, I mean, that's enough to sort of set the imagination alight in terms of what we can look forward to for next season. And I, from my perspective, I thought season three was a home run of a season for Discovery, the best season that they have done to date. And whatever kind of magic went into the creation of the third season, I'm just sort of hoping they kind of take that care and level of attention and thinking about it and apply that to season four as well. And I think, you know, there's a lot to look forward to there. Well, TrekMovie.com published an extensive two-part interview with Star Trek The Next Generation and Star Trek Deep Space Nine's Michael Dorn, who played Worf across the two shows for, well, many years. The interview covers a lot of familiar ground, but also touches on whether Dorn has been approached to appear in Star Trek Picard, and whether there has been any progress on his Captain Worf pitch that he has made a number of times to CBS over the last decade. Speaking about Picard, Dorn said, I have not been contacted about that, but I don't like to say yes or no. It really depends on quite a few things. It depends on the role. It depends on how they present it. The one thing you have to realize is that I have to get into makeup. You were talking about three hours. For me to do that, it really has to be kind of worth it. You know what I mean? I don't want to get in makeup and just stand around and scowl at people. Dawn also indicated he had not been contacted about Lower Decks, though I think any actor denial should always be taken with a grain of salt. Remember, Marina Sirtis strongly denied she had been contacted about a role in Picard only a few short weeks before it was publicly announced that yes, she would be appearing in Picard and would be returning alongside Jonathan Frakes. And on that Captain Wharf pitch, which has been out in the ether for years, Dawn said, it seems to rise and fall. There's interest and then there's not. Then there's interest and then there's not. And I guess it was two years ago, I thought they would take it a little further, but that did not happen. So I don't know if the whole idea is dead. Not in my mind. Head on over to Trek Movie and check out the full interview for Dawn's elevator pitch on what the story for the show is. It's actually pretty interesting. Marina, would you like to see Michael Dawn make an appearance on one of the new Star Trek shows? Yes. <laughs> and uh, not only because uh, what TNG is one of my favorite series, but kind of I have to echo, though, what, what Michael said as far as, you know, not just be standing there scowling at people. There has to be a purpose for him for being there. There has to be some sort of use. They has to serve the story. So just him appearing in the background won't do. You know, that would be just a very silly kind of fan service. But if they manage to create that sort of magic, like what they did with Nepenthe, with Troy and Riker appearing in Picard, I both hands, yes, please. So I'm looking forward to that. I, I am very curious as far as what he can up his own idea for for the this Captain Worf series. Just as a gut feeling, I'm not sure how realistic it is because it, it feels to me that the franchise does, well, the keepers of the franchise do have a pretty solid idea of where they want to take it. So all these multiple productions that, that are already out there, the ones that we know of and the ones that are <laughs> secrets in the ether, I don't know. But as far as the whole thing with the makeup is concerned, he certainly can make an appearance in Lower Deck. That would make things so much easier in terms of, you know, him not being, not having to endure the prosthetics. So um, to summarize, yes, I certainly want to. I mean, 
again, if if his his appearance really serves the story. Yeah, I agree with that. This is the story about how he was approached about appearing as a another wolf ancestor in the Discovery pilot, yeah. and he turned it down because it wasn't much of a role and and he didn't, you know, particularly want to get into the makeup. And it, you know, it does sort of feel like as they talk about in the interview, right? He's the longest serving. That's right. He's done he's done the most the most track of out of any of them. Right. Uh, but it's something I also want to kind of go back to what you said as far as uh, Marina man mentioning, you know, not being part of it and then actually being part of it. Obviously, they all signed NDAs. Sure. So whoever has been approached is not going to do anything unless again, you know, there is an order from high above saying, "Okay, let's drop a snippet somewhere." I'm actually trying to think it, at least I can think of at least two conventions, STLV and I think it was Awesome Con, where the TNG cast was, you know, right there. There they are on the stage and they were yep. asked, are you, you know, have you been, have they been talking to you? And they all said, and it's like, no, what else can they say? Right. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. And I also think the Captain Wolf thing has never necessarily been terribly realistic. I mean, if there's any time for it to happen, it's probably now, right? But, uh, you know, having said that, Star Trek Picard was not terribly realistic. I mean, I remember when there was, when Kurtzman signed his deal to expand the Star Trek franchise, and there was all this talk about new shows. And like one of the British tabloids ran a story about how Patrick Stewart was close to closing a deal to return as Jean Luc Picard. And I remember saying, I didn't, I wasn't hosting this show at the time, but I remember telling anybody who would listen, oh, no way, that's never going to happen. There's no way they'll get it back. And of course, you know, it ultimately ended up happening. So I suppose it's a never say never thing. But at the same yeah. time, it's always like that with Star Trek, if you think about it. You know, yeah, never exactly. say never. <laughs> right. Dawn is a fabulous actor. Is he necessarily the greatest kind of writer or creative in the world? I don't know. You know, I think we'll just have to wait and see if Kurtzman and co bite on anything like a Captain Wolf show. I mean, I would love it. I love the character Wolf. I'd love to see more of him, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Well, we were talking about it at the top of the show. A new company, XO6, have announced that they have secured the license to produce one-sixth scale Star Trek figures. The people behind the company, who previously worked at QMX and led the development of one-sixth scale Star Trek figures at that company, are promising to be able to offer an expanded range of characters and believe that the market exists for the highly detailed figures. Leading off the company's line will be Lieutenant Commander Data in Star Trek First Contact attire. Standing 12 inches tall, the figure comes with two heads, a regular Data head and another with the partial organic face provided by the Borg Queen, as well as a number of accessories. In addition to producing Data, XO6 will also be making Captain Picard in First Contact attire and a statue of the Borg Queen. Data will go on pre-sale February 1st through 28th and can be yours for $189. These are not cheap figures, but they are highly, highly, highly detailed. Picard and the Borg Queen will follow in future months with announcements for more characters from other shows also on the way. Marina, you said you were super psyched about this. I think they're really impressive looking figures. So you're going to go for the data and the Picard and the ball queen, you think? I don't know if I can handle all three financially. <laughs> yeah. So I have to be very careful with picking one out. The Borg queen looks, I mean, we can only see a part of her head, obviously. Yeah. So this is not enough, but I want to see the detail. I have to admit I was somewhat disappointed when, I mean, granted, we're not talking about the same size figure and produced for different purpose, I suppose. The last Borg figurine that was released, which I, I believe was by QMX, was not 
exactly what I expected. Let's put it this way. It was less detailed. There were certain things for that I didn't particularly like the paint scale. But here looking at it, I realized that these are just, you know, again, it's just a taste. The final version might not necessarily look like this, but it's very thrilling. And again, as I mentioned in the beginning, First Contact, it happens to be my favorite movie. So it makes it that much more exciting for me. I am very interested in knowing what exactly they're going to do, that whole statement with characters from other series, you know, how far are they going to take it? Because that would be interesting. I can't remember when was the last time we actually had uh, a nice quality non-TNG, non-TOS, and well, as things are right now, Mm non-discovery, detailed product. Oh, you know, speaking of Worf, well, will they make a very detailed Worf? It's a very, you know, <laughs> far shot, but who knows? Maybe. Or a Captain Janeway, perhaps. Oh, gosh, you said it. You said it. And I would love to have, you know, my thing happens to be, I, I do enjoy the action figures that happen to have like this. And let's face it, it it's been kind of hit and miss in that regard so i'm looking forward to it i want to see what they're going to come up with and if it's if they do come up with the 12 inch janeway then oh i am super interested i have to admit these figures are very very cool i remember being disappointed about the way that the kind of hype around qmx's one six star trek figure line sort of fell away and i assume the people who worked on that line felt the same way which is why they left and set up their own company making one six star trek figures you know there was this panel at STLV and they brought the guys out and they kind of they sort of showed that at that point they'd done Kirk and they'd done Spock and they were about to do McCoy and the McCoy figure just looked really really good and Picard was on the way the Picard one they did the TNG one was okay but they were talking about these possibilities of like all the different things they could do they were going to do Rathacon Kirk and Rathacon Spock and at San Diego Comic Con I can't remember if it was that year or if it was the year after they even showed off this amazing looking Captain Philippa Georgiou, which was like the spitting image of Michelle Yao. And there've been questions ever since, like, you know, is that going to happen? Is that going to happen? Is that going to happen? Well, obviously it didn't happen at QMX, but maybe here, you know, at X06, it might, right? Because where QMX is a company where they make lots of things, you know, they products come and go, they get excited about something, then they get less excited about something, they move on from it, right? X06 is a 1-6 Star Trek action figure company. If they aren't making 1-6 Star Trek action figures, they're not in business anymore. (laughs) So I think there is a different incentive structure. And ultimately, if they can produce a great product, and if they can produce it consistently, and that's the other issue with, you know, some of these licensees like QMX is they make big promises about the kinds of products they're going to create, but then they don't ultimately deliver them or they deliver them on a much delayed timeline. If they can kind of get that piece of it right, then I think I would love to see what they have coming next. I'm very tempted by these. I'm not going to lie. I have sort of been vaguely on and off tempted by the one six figures all the way back to the QMX era. I kind of wish they were one twelve figures just because it would be a little easier to find space for them. But I am sort of, I, I think I might be on board with these. I don't know. I, you know, we'll, we'll, There's we'll see. There's something about that particular scale that just, I don't know. It makes me all tingly, I have to admit. But when they released the 1.6 Picard and I first saw it in person, I wanted it. So, you know, which is is why, you know, now that I'm seeing all these, you know, promo pictures and everything, and it just, 
I can't wait. I can't wait to see and put, you know, this whole thought of like, maybe they will make a Captain Janeway. Now I'm even more excited, I have to say. In my opinion, it's a no-brainer, right? Yeah. Kate Mulgrew is coming back to the franchise this year. Great opportunity to capitalize on that by creating a Captain Janeway 1-6 figure. Hey, you should send him an email. And lastly this week, after releasing a new Star Trek-themed dishware and liquor set late last year, Uconic are back with new Star Trek products, and this time you can wear them. Leading off are a range of Star Trek-themed bathrobes, available in Original Series, Next Generation, and Discovery styles. These are one-size-fit-all, and they run around $55, depending on the style you purchase, and you can get them exclusively through the Toynuk store, T-O-Y-N-K store. Check out our show notes on trekcore.com for the story that has links to purchase. Meanwhile, if your feet are feeling cold this winter, Uconic has released two new sets of slippers modeled off of Federation shuttlecraft, available styled as either... Shuttlecraft Galileo from the original series, or the Goddard from the next generation. These quite chunky but rather cozy looking slippers are $30 and also available through the Toy Nook website. Marina, are you in the market for either a new bathrobe or a pair of slippers? To be perfectly honest, no, but because actually I do already have, I own a couple of Star Trek robes, but when I saw this in the news, you know, and specifically the slipper sets, I honestly, I just had a good laugh because, you know, you you look at it, this is such fun product. You know, it's obviously wearable. It's obviously enjoyable. This is, you know, you look at it, you know precisely what this is. But at the same time, the concept's like, yeah, I'm wearing shuttles on my, <laughs> on my feet. <laughs> it's just, you know, a good, good laugh of, you know, just having pure fun. <laughs> I might do the slippers because it's just too much fun not to have some, you know, to have something like that. We'll see. <laughs> but this is just, this is just delightful. I'm actually curious, like, would, would they do more? Like, I, I keep imagining all the different types of shuttlecraft and ships that we have that would make a good shape for a slipper. I'm sure Delta Flyer slippers would fly yeah. off the shelves. Oh, good point. I was going to say, you know, like Voyager had more pointy ships. So, I mean, Voyager uh-huh. itself is a nice slipper shape if you think about it. <laughs> it's too much fun. Too much fun. Yeah, these are cool. I think Uconic made the previous line of Star Trek bathrobes. The original series robes, I think, are very similar to those ones. I've got one of them mm-hmm. myself. Yeah. So, yeah, for me, I'm not sure I'm necessarily getting another Star Trek bathrobe though it's nice that they've done additional TNG and Discovery styles as well. (laughs) The slippers are very funny. I I sort of wonder, you know, whether the nacelles are going to get sort of caught on anything as you're wandering around. But I mean, it is today, we're recording January the 29th. It is a bitterly cold day on the East Coast. And, you know, my feet could do with some big chunky slippers. (laughs) Yeah. Some big chunky shuttle slippers to warm them up. So actually, maybe I've talked myself into that one. (laughs) All right. Well, we've talked about the facts. And now let's speculate on what's going to happen in the future of Star Trek. You make some very good points, Captain. But it's still all speculation and theory. So each week, I and my guest give you a wish or theory we're nurturing about any of the shows or the future of the franchise. So Marina, let's hear your theory or wish for this week. I have a wish. I kind of hope that, you know, with all this little information, all this sprinkling sprinkling of these <laughs> details of pixie dust that uh, the production team releases, we haven't really heard much about Strange New Worlds. It kind of, it was a big thing in the news for a little bit once the news actually broke. Yeah. And then nothing. And I'm sure that things are happening. We just don't know about them, obviously. Sure. So I'm hopeful that maybe they will release some sort of little, well, I don't want to use the word 
teaser because that implies like an actual teaser. But, you know, like maybe they will tease us with just a little bit of information. What's happening? You know, are they already doing casting calls? Uh, do they have some sort of other ideas of what's with who, what, how? Just something. Um, not so much about Section 31. Not to, not because I don't care. Because I actually I am looking forward to that show because I adore Michelle Yeoh. But for some reason, I you know, once that commercial hit the waves and I saw yeah, Pike and Spock. I was like, yeah, we haven't really heard much about Strange New Worlds for a while. So what's happening there? So that's my wish. I hope that, you know, maybe some, some, a little bit of information, something. I think we will. There are some pictures that are circulating on the Star Trek internet, if you are looking in the right places, that do very, very, I mean, they show that set construction is underway and that it is for Star Trek Strange New Worlds. There's actually a picture going around of someone took a picture of like the COVID safety kind of the sign. Yeah. 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 The sign. And it's, uh, you know, they're talking about social distancing and wearing a mask and it's, and it says Star Trek Strange New Worlds on it. And it's, you know, spot wearing a mask and just a sort of little animated, you know, sort of representation of that you would see on any kind of safety sign, but very sort of Star trek And then there are some pictures on Instagram that I think one of the crew members is putting up that he's not supposed to of like rigging Uh-oh. lights for Star Trek Strange New Worlds. <laughs> so we know that it's happening. Obviously, we've not heard anything official about yeah. the show. And I think we will soon because from everything we heard, the last we heard from, I think it was Anson Mount who said this, that shooting was supposed to start beginning at some point in February. And Anson Mount, prolific social media user. So I think we will probably know fairly quickly, like once he's up in Canada in some kind of COVID quarantine, if he posts pictures of himself, like has has the background changed? Is he sitting in a particularly sparse looking apartment but i think we're not too far away from that show getting underway i mean it's possible that you know in the way that picard was supposed to start in january and now they're saying february that strange new worlds got pushed back a bit but i don't think it got pushed back very much i mean i I think it's going to start soon and that is super cool and i mean the fact that they in the paramount plus commercial on their kind of graphics they've done, they've sort of highlighted Sonequa Martin-Green and Sir Patrick Stewart. But on that commercial, you know, it was Anson Mount and Ethan Peck. I think my guess would be is maybe March 4th around the Paramount Plus launch. Maybe we'll get some more information about Star Trek Strange New Worlds. That seems like a, you know, a decent time for them to do something to kind of hype it up. Let's hope so. I mean, it's not like, we're, again, it's not like we're short of Star Trek news, but this is one thing that kind of jumped into my mind. Like, what what is happening there? Hmm. Hopefully we'll hear soon. Hopefully we will hear soon. Well, my wish this week is uh, I'm going to get on a little bit of a soapbox. I do this every now and again, and I'm going to do it today. And I'm going to talk about, not about Star Trek, I'm actually going to talk about Babylon 5, the J. Michael Straczynski science fiction show that was launched in the mid-90s about a space station in which a bunch of aliens got together and it sort of pioneered arc-based storytelling and uh, there's always been, you know, the big thing, the big Star Trek connection is it came out roughly the same time as Deep Space Nine and there's always been this big fight between Deep Space Nine fans and Babylon 5 fans about who stole what from whom about a space station-based science fiction show. Set all that aside, Babylon 5 was released on the streaming service HBO Max this week and it was released as a remastered version of Babylon 5. Now what does that mean? Well it doesn't mean that they did a TOS or a TNG to the show. They didn't kind of go back to the original camera negatives, redo all the special effects, kind of 
build it in post-production from effectively the ground up again. But what they did do was they rescanned all the original camera negatives into HD, and they did a very nice job of upscaling the effect shots. And as and they redid color correction and everything like that. The DVDs, they're kind of pretty atrocious, actually, in terms of like everything seems really washed out and the colors are all quite weird. But it actually looks really fabulous on HBO Max. It looks so good, I've started to sort of rewatch the whole show from the beginning again. Now, this is a show for which there are almost the same set of challenges that exist for, and this is where we get back to Star Trek, Deep Space Nine and Voyager. It's a show that relied heavily on CGI. It was actually the first science fiction show that was exclusively CGI. There were no ship models used in the production of Babylon 5. It was all CGI. And of course, it has been decades since that CGI was created. None of those original files exist, starting to sound familiar. And Warner Brothers figured out a way to significantly improve the picture quality and experience for Babylon 5 without spending... TNG or TOS remastered amounts of money on doing it. And so my kind of ranty soapbox wish is if Warner Brothers can figure it out for Babylon 5, a show that hasn't produced any new content in 14 years, the last Babylon 5 kind of piece that came out was The Lost Tales in 2007, and that was the first piece that had come out in several years. If they can do a good job of making this show look much better, granted it's it's nowhere close to being a TNG level remaster, but a significant improvement upon the way that it had previously been available on DVD and on streaming, there is absolutely nobody who can convince me that CBS cannot do something similar for Deep Space Nine and Voyager. Again, it's not going to look as good as TNG, but it's going to look a darn sight better than it does right now. And Warner Brothers have proved that it can be done. CBS, you're up to the plate. It's time to give some kind of remaster to Deep Space Nine and Voyager. We're not asking you to spend $20 million or however much money it took you to do TNG Remastered. All we're asking you to do is use the technology that's available. There are bored Redditors out there upscaling this stuff on their own using commercially available products and the results are superior to what's available right now. You're a major multinational corporation. It's not that hard. It's time to do some justice to Deep Space Nine and Voyager. That's my rant. Marina, what do you think? I have to just literally sign my name under what you just said. (laughs) This was a big surprise for me when the news broke that, oh, here's B5 and boom, it's remastered. And I first thought, like, no, somebody's pulling my leg, you know, like, you don't just, you know, all of a sudden, uh, you know, a 25-year-old sci-fi show and it just gets you know gets out just like that what about star trek and then no it's true so yeah it kind of begs the question surely something can be done with deep space nine and voyager so is it the pie in the sky hope that it will finally happen i honestly don't know there's already so much happening in franchise that i i can't necessarily blame the current holders of of the franchise that they might not be necessarily paying too much attention to the things that were but at the same time you know the fandom is still there people way too many people are still interested in all these shows from 20 30 50 years ago so i sincerely hope that it does happen it should happen you know this is such an incredible legacy you know and 
I don't know, I always disagree with people who tend to diminish the value that Deep Space Nine and Voyager hold in the franchise. These are shows that ran for seven years each, and they left a huge, huge mark in, for, in the pop culture and for a whole lot of people. So I sincerely hope something happens. And it, it, when it does that, it's done properly. You know, if you plan to remaster it to a certain degree, do it that way. You know, don't do not do it sort of like a half-assed attempt to, to just shut up a particularly noisy fans. Right. But yeah. It's it's a hope. It's a hope that, that Deep Space Nine and Voyager will get some sort of cleanup that they deserve. Do you have a theory or a wish for Discovery, Picard, Lower Decks, or the future of the franchise that you'd like to share? Tweet them to me at Weekly Trek or email them to me at weeklytrek at thetricordertransmissions.com and I might feature your theory in a future episode. Well, that's all the time we've got for this episode of Weekly Trek. Thank you so much to my guest, Marina Kravchuk, for joining me today. Marina, how can people contact you if they want to continue the conversation? Thank you for having me back. And you can find me both on Facebook and on Twitter at Dracorex, D-R-A-K-K-O-R-E-X. And as a lot of people know, I co-host Shoreleaf, your Star Trek Convention community podcast, which you can also find on Facebook and on Twitter at Shoreleaf. So, uh, you know, if you want to say hello, here I am. And you can find this show on Twitter at Weekly Trek and me at Alexander T. Perry. And if you enjoy the show, please consider leaving us a five-star review on your podcast player of choice. And please check out some of the other great shows on the Tricorder Transmissions. And if you like our shows, please also consider becoming a Patreon of Tricorder, which you can find at patreon.com slash the Tricorder Transmissions. And lastly, if you're looking for Star Trek news on the internet, I hope you will turn to trekcore.com. Well, thank you, Marina. Thank you to all of my listeners. And until next week, live long and prosper. 